Greetings, comrades, gal pals, and non-binary beloveds of all kinds, and welcome to Sappho Salon, where the sighs, yearnings, tragedies, and triumphs of queer love are brought to life, because history has never been as straight as you think, and queer love never dies. Today's readings come from the letters of Emily Dickinson to her sister-in-law, Susan Gilbert. The first letter is dated February of 1852. Will you let me come, dear Susie, looking just as I do, my dress soiled and worn, my grand old apron and my hair? Oh, Susie, time would fail me to enumerate my appearance, yet I love you just as dearly as if I was e'er so fine. So you won't care, will you? I am so glad, dear Susie, that our hearts are always clean and always neat and lovely, so not to be ashamed." I have been hard at work this morning, and I ought to be working now, but I cannot deny myself the luxury of a minute or two with you. The dishes may wait, dear Susie, and the uncleared table stand. Them I always have with me, but you... I have not always. Why, Susie? Christ hath saints many, and I have few but thee. The angels shan't have Susie. No, no, no. Vinny is sewing away like a fictitious seamstress, and I half expect some knight will arrive at the door, confess himself a nothing in presence of her loveliness, and present his heart and hand as the only vestige of him worthy to be refused. Vinny and I have been talking about growing old today. Vinny thinks twenty must be a fearful p- position for one to occupy. I tell her I don't care if I am young or not. Had as leaf be thirty, and you as most anything else. Vinny expresses her sympathy at my sear and yellow leaf, and resumes her work. Dear Susie, tell me how you feel. Aren't there days in one's life when to be old don't seem a thing so sad? I do feel grey and grim this morning, and I feel it would be a comfort to have a piping voice and a broken back and scare little children. Don't you run, Susie dear. For I won't do any harm, and I do love you dearly, though I feel so frightful. Oh, my darling one, how long you wander from me, how weary I grow of waiting and looking and calling for you. Sometimes I shut my eyes and shut my heart towards you, and try hard to forget you because you grieve me so. But you'll never go away. Oh, you never will. Say, Susie, promise me again, and I will smile faintly, and take up my little cross again of sad sad separation. How vain it seems to write when no one knows how to feel, how much more near and dear to sit beside you, talk with you, hear the tones of your voice, so hard to deny thyself and take up thy cross and follow me. Give me strength, Susie. Write me of hope and love and of hearts that endured and great was their reward of our Father who art in heaven. I don't know how I shall bear it when the gentle spring comes. If she should come and see me and talk to me of you, oh, it would surely kill me. While the frost clings to the windows and the world is stern and drear, this absence is easier. The earth mourns, too, for all her little birds. But when they all come back again and she sings and is so merry, pray, what will become of me? Susie, forgive me. Forget all what I say. Get some sweet little scholar to read a gentle hymn about Bethlehem and Mary, and you will sleep on sweetly and have as peaceful dreams as if I had never written you all these ugly things. Never mind the letter, Susie. I won't be angry with you if you don't give me any at all. 
for I know how busy you are, and how little of that dear strength remains when it is evening, with which to think and write, only want to write me, only sometimes sigh that you are far from me, and that will do, Susie. Don't you think we are good and patient to let you go so long? And don't we think you're a darling, a real beautiful hero, to toil for people and teach them and leave your own dear home? Because we pine and repine, don't think we forget the precious patriot at war in other lands? Never be mournful, Susie. Be happy and have cheer, for how many of the long days have gone away since I wrote you? And it is almost noon, and soon the night will come. And then there is one less day of the long pilgrimage. Maddie is very smart. Talks of you much, my darling. I must leave you now. One little hour of heaven. Thank who did give it to me, and will he also grant me one longer and more, when it shall please his love. Bring Susie home. Love always and ever and true. Emily. The second letter is dated June of 1852. I have but one thought, Susie, this afternoon of June, and that of you, and I have one prayer only, dear Susie, that is for you, that you and I, in hand as e'en we do in heart, might ramble away as children among the woods and fields and forget these many years and these sorrowing cares and each become a child again. I would it were so, Susie, and when I look around me and find myself alone, I sigh for you again. Little sigh and vain sigh, which will not bring you home. I need you more and more, and the great world grows wider and dear ones fewer and fewer every day that you stay away. I miss my biggest heart. My own goes wandering round and calls for Susie. Friends are too dear to sunder. Oh, they are far too few, and how soon they will go away where you and I cannot find them. Don't let us forget these things. For their remembrance will now save us many an anguish when it is too late to love them. Susie, forgive me, darling, for every word I say. My heart is full of you. None other than you is in my thoughts. Yet when I seek to say to you something not for the world, words fail me. If you were here, and oh, that you were here, my Susie, we need not talk at all. Our eyes would whisper for us, and your hand fast in mind, we would not ask for language. I try to bring you nearer. I chase the weeks away till they are quite departed and fancy you have come, and I am on my way through the green lane to meet you when my heart goes scampering so, that I have much ado to bring it back again and learn it to be patient till that dear Susie comes. Three weeks! They can't last always, for surely they must go with their little brothers and sisters to their long home in the West. I shall grow more and more impatient until that dear day comes, for till now I have only mourned for you, now I begin to hope for you. Dear Susie, I have tried hard to think what you would love, of something I might send you. I at last say, my little violets. They begged me to let them go, so here they are. And with them, as instructor, a bit of knightly grass, who also begged the favor to accompany them. They are but small, Susie, and I fear not fragrant now, but they will speak to you of warm hearts at home, and of something faithful which never slumbers nor sleeps. Keep them neath your pillow, Susie. They will make you dream of blue skies, and home, and the blessed country. You and I will have an hour with Edward and Ed Ellen Middleton sometime when you get home. 
We must find out if some things contained therein are true, and if they are, what you and me are coming to. Now farewell, Susie, and Vinnie sends her love, and mother hers, and I add a kiss, shyly, lest there is somebody there. Don't let them see, will you, Susie? The songs you heard are Great Egret and Great Blue Heron by Chad Crouch from the Free Music Archive. The next readings we bring you are a series of letters from Oscar Wilde to his beloved Lord Alfred Bosey Douglas. The first letter is dated January of 1893. My own boy, your sonnet is quite lovely, and it is a marvel that those red rose leaf lips of yours should be made no less for the madness of music and song than for the madness of kissing. Your slim, gilt soul walks between passion and poetry. I know Hyacinthus, whom Apollo loved so madly, was you in Greek days. Why are you alone in London, and when do you go to Salisbury? Do go there to cool your hands in the grey twilight of gothic things, and come here whenever you like. It is a lovely place and lacks only you, but go to Salisbury first. Always, with undying love, yours. Oscar. The second letter is dated March of 1893. Dearest of all boys, your letter was delightful, red and yellow wine to me, but I am sad and out of sorts, Bosey. You must not make scenes with me. They kill me. They wreck the loveliness of life. I cannot see you so Greek and gracious, distorted with passion. I cannot listen to your curved lips saying hideous things to me. Don't do it. You break my heart. I'd sooner be rented all day than to have you bitter, unjust, and horrid. Horrid. I must see you soon. You are the divine thing I want. The thing of grace and genius. But I don't know how to do it. Shall I come to Salisbury? There are many difficulties. My bill here is forty-nine pounds a week. I have also got a new sitting room over the Thames. But you, why are you not here, my dear, wonderful boy? I fear I must leave. No money, no credit, and a heart of lead. Ever your own, Oscar. The next letter, July of 1894. My own dear boy, I hope the cigarettes arrived all right. I lunched with Gladys de Grey, Reggie, and Alec York there. They want me to go to Paris with them on Thursday. They say one wears flannels and straw hats and dines in the boys, but of course I have no money as usual and can't go. Besides, I want to see you. It really is absurd. I can't live without you. You are so dear, so wonderful. I think of you all day long and miss your grace, your boyish beauty, the bright sword play of your wit, the delicate fancy of your genius, so surprising always in its sudden swallow flights towards north and south, towards sun and moon, and above all, yourself. The only thing that consoles me is what Sybil of Mortimer Street, whom mortals call Mrs. Robinson, said to me. If I could disbelieve her, I would, but I can't, and I know that early in January you and I will go away together for a long voyage, and that your lovely life goes always hand in hand with mine. My dear, wonderful boy, I hope you are brilliant and happy. I went to Bertie today, I rode at home, then went and sat with my mother. Death and love seem to walk on either hand as I go through life. 
They are the only things I think of. Their wings shadow me. London is a desert without your dainty feet. Write me a line and take all my love, now and forever. Always and with devotion, but I have no words for how I love you. Oscar. The next letter from April 29th, 1895, on the final night of Oscar Wilde's indecency trial. My dearest boy, this is to assure you of my immortal, my eternal love for you. Tomorrow all will be over. If prison and dishonor be my destiny, think that my love for you and this idea, this still more divine belief that you love me in return, shall sustain me in my unhappiness and will make me capable, I hope, of bearing my grief most patiently. Since the hope, nay, rather the certainty of meeting you again in some world is the goal and the encouragement of my present life, ah, I must continue to live in this world because of that. Our final letter, dated August 31st, 1897, shortly after Wilde's released from prison. My own darling boy, I got your telegram half an hour ago and just send a line to say that I feel that my only hope of again doing beautiful work in art is being with you. It was not so in the old days, but now it is different, and you can really recreate in me that energy and sense of joyous power on which your art depends. Everyone is furious with me going back to you, but they don't understand us. I feel that it is only with you that I can do anything at all. Do remake my ruined life for me, and then our friendship and love will have a different meaning to the world. I wish that when we met at Ruin, we had not parted at all. There are such wide abysses now of space and land between us, but we love each other. Good night, dear. Ever yours, Oscar. The songs you heard are Pan's Nap and Twilight of the Elves from the Free Music Archive. Sappho's Salon is brought to you by History is Gay, the podcast that examines the underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle envies that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history. Until next time, lovers, stay queer and stay creative. Hello, folks. Uh, as you've probably realized by now, we did not bring you a regular episode of History is Gay this week. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues that meant we weren't able to put out our regular episode. But we brought you this wonderful thing, Sappho's Salon, which is a sneak peek of one of the exclusive things you will be able to get access to as a Patreon supporter in our upcoming Patreon campaign. So please stay tuned. That's going to be really exciting. And if you're looking for ways to support us as well as get fun goodies that you won't find anywhere else, keep an eye out for that. And please, uh, please consider becoming a patron when we launch it very soon. Until next time, stay queer.